Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's Friday, December 29th, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. December 29th. That wouldn't happen to be my birthday, would it? In fact, I would. I'm giving a birthday present to myself. The New York Times not giving a present to ChatGPT. They have sued the AI module. Is module the right word? You could say module with anything. People think it's the right word. They're suing AI because they say that AI was, uh, or ChatGPT was training itself on the New York Times. See, I knew this was happening, and I'll tell you how. I asked ChatGPT, I was playing around, I said, make up a rap in the style of Chance the Rapper, and it did, but it referred to him as Mr. the Rapper. And I knew the New York Times was somehow involved, and then I let my kids, I probably shouldn't have done this, they were using ChatGPT, and one used it to write a book report about To Kill a Mockingbird, and it spit out a source close to Boo Radley who refused to be identified on the record because he wasn't authorized to talk. And I knew, I knew New York Times house style had been implicated, but I think ChatGPT could turn it all around. What they should do is they should say, you're right, we trained on the New York Times, but you know that one bug of our system where we're always hallucinating things? We were never hallucinating anything. We just let Judy Miller and Jason Blair inside. That's all the hallucination was. Ah, uh, some, some birthday analysis of a legal and tech matter for you today. So what is the birthday present I'm giving myself? I want to play two of the interviews that I did that I like the most. Yeah, I'm going to say one led to Many conversations I've had over the years, online, offline, he's coming on the show again. One of my favorite comedians, he has a new special out on HBO Now, Gary Goleman. The first time he came in, I remember seeing him at a club, the Comedy Cellar, and all the comedians were good. And then he came on and did a bit about how the states got their nicknames. And I was just blown away. No one thinks like this guy. And I had Gary on, and this was an interview we conducted in uh, 2014 And he, like I said, he did a great HBO special called The Great Depression. His new special is called Born on Third Base. He'll come on to talk about this. But this goes back to 2014, talking some origin stories with Gary Goleman. And then another, people say, what was the best interview I ever did? I have no idea what the best one was. But one that warmed the cockles of my heart was when I had Henry Winkler on. It was episode 693 of The Gist, so if you want to know the year for that, it was uh, March of 2017. The headline then was Fonz 
on fonts that he talked about as dyslexic, the kind of, a lot of things, but his Hank Zipser books and the kind of fonts he uses. So Gary Goleman, Henry Winkler, a couple of funny Jewish men <laughs> talking to half-Jew Mike Pesca on his birthday. Enjoy. Gary Goldman, the great comedian and uh, returning champion Gary Goldman, is out <laughs> with a new HBO special. It is called The Great Depression, and it is both those things. I mean, it is being hailed by, say, Brian Koppelman, the creator of Billions, is the best comedy special he has ever seen. Of course, he is a Jewish man who likes to play basketball, as is Gary, <laughs> so <laughs> take that with a great assault. Gary, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Of course. Did you, I've seen you do the material, but the special is the material intercut as a documentary. Is that how you always knew you wanted to do it and present it? Yeah, that was the initial idea that came from my manager, our mutual friend, Brian Stern. He said, and if you know anything about managers, they seldom come up with any creative (laughs) ideas, but his idea was we'll do a, a hybrid of a comedy special and, and documentary footage of your recovery and your, your treatment and and so it it it's about 12 minutes of documentary and 63 or 64 minutes of of stand-up so it's mostly stand-up it's mostly comedy that could work as a funny documentary but were you worried about it killing the momentum of the jokes i mean were you worried about it hurting the comedy no i i i always thought we would we would only use it when necessary to either amplify or unpack certain ideas and i i'm trying not to use the word unpack because i i found out that everybody's using it and so it's true steve adores yeah they're all (laughs) guys on the docks longshoremen and and or steve adores yes they're using unpack and and they're furious that it's become so common so you don't want to fuck with the unions when it comes to unpack (laughs) (laughs) so Early on, we we decided that it was going to be mostly stand up and and only use the documentary to make the stand up a little more interesting or or go a little bit deeper with it, revealing. So, yeah. So when you came out of okay, we can't say I want to get the right terminology. You battle depression. You're dealing with depression, but also you were voluntarily hospitalized and you came out of that. So how? What's the right way to say that you're being treated successfully treated for depression? I, I like I to know. use remission. Okay, I good. Like to yes. use remission, I, I think that's the most helpful. Or I'm recovering. Sometimes I'll, I'll say because this this bout of depression, and I'd had depressive episodes throughout my life. I had more episodes than The Simpsons. <laughs> where's the where's the where's the the rim shot on that? That's a great moment for a rim shot. More more episodes than The Simpsons. The I si- said gun smoke. Yes, then gun smoke. <laughs> Then 60 minutes. <laughs> okay. So I I had a lot of depressive episodes, but they would last three months. They would last a season. And then I would come back and I would make up for all the lost time. But this one, for some reason, lasted two and a half years. And it, and it had a, a suicidal component and two separate hospitalizations that for time purposes I... I combined in the in the special and in the show, but there were two separate times that I was that I was hospitalized. But it 
yeah, it rocked me to my core. And so now, since I would say around November of 2017, I've been in what I would say remission or recovery mode. Were you out of commission as a comedian or functioning human for like yes. how long a year? Well, I was I was still able to pull myself together to do shows to to make a living. I'm, I canceled a lot of shows, but I also was able to literally sleep up until about 45 minutes before the show uh-huh. go do it and then retreat to the to the hotel until it was time to do it again because it became so obvious that something was was off not just the fact that i wasn't ironing my shirts or that i hadn't shaved but my hands were shaking and i was biting my lip till it bled also the the adrenaline that used to kick in when i would get mm-hmm. on stage that kind of it wasn't enough to overcome the the inertia of of misery and so it was some i mean stage was still maybe the one place where you didn't feel terrible it was the although we do see footage of you feeling terrible on stage yeah yeah, yeah that that's what the the special opens with is me bombing on stage in 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 harvard square in massachusetts and cambridge and it's really uncomfortable but i i thought no special has ever started with somebody dying on yeah, stage that's They're, right yeah so that was uncommon but happened frequently huh i, I wouldn't say that was my usual performance but yeah. but that that's what was going on at the at the time yeah were you intent on writing i mean you write about a lot of things you write about observations about life and fruit salad and states yes but were you intent on writing more about your own life and your experience than you had been in the past it was out of necessity mm-hmm. i think that when i got back on stage it was so obvious that something was off that i had to address it in order to talk about sweet potato fries <laughs> to get to that sweet yeah, place to, to, to get to the about e- tubers yeah, yeah to, to talk about things that weren't really really as important and then it just started to to build because that that's how i i had to remember how i went about writing everything i ever wrote which is it, it sounds like I'm being a wise ass, but one sentence at a time that I have a line that works and then I try to build on that. And that's what I started doing with, with the jokes about depression and anxiety. And thank goodness the feedback that I would get after the shows was very positive for the most part. 99% of the people were encouraging and supportive and said that it made them feel less alone. And and so that was that was really a, a blessing. There, there were occasional comments that for some reason the managers of the comedy clubs felt the need to show me about people saying don't talk about depression uh-huh. and and one time in delaware 70 minutes into a 90 minute show a man looked disgusted in the front row center which means he had to have had the tickets in advance and yeah. knew what he was going to see it's called the great depression and he and he yelled at me he says what is this therapy and he stood up and yelled you suck uh-huh. and and left and yeah. and Thank God the rest of the audience didn't feel that way. And they, they gave me the, the only time in my career in 25 years I've gotten a standing ovation before the end of the show. So that was that was really wow. something. And yeah. also, thank God your actual therapy doesn't work along those same lines. <laughs> I know. Your therapist just yeah. t- tore out of there screaming obscenities. Right. right. Yeah. Also, if he expected to me, to me to be that funny. Right. Yes. Or if he demanded a refund. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He yeah. bought the tickets. Some 70 minutes in, he, fed it. he got fed off. This uh, unbelievable. Awful. Yeah. So your mom is in the documentary as yes. your mom, yeah. and at times, sweetly, uh, perhaps with the best of intentions, 
perhaps not getting all the subtle nuance of you sitting next to her clearly presenting evidence that (laughs) you are giving sufficient and extreme cries for help as a seven-year-old. She just doesn't see it. Now that she's seen the documentary, I assume she's seen the documentary. No, she hasn't seen it. She's only seen the trailer. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, So, I mean, might she, do you, do you expect that the scene in the documentary where you sit down next to her and show yeah. her a book that you did in second grade of an yeah. upset crying tree. Yeah, it's called The Lonely Tree. The Lonely Tree, a yeah. tree that cries on its own tears. By the way, it's a great idea. It grows on its own tears. It grows yeah. on its own Well, it's a, it's a clear ripoff of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, I thought it was The Giving th- Tree. Well, I don't know. I, I've never yeah. read, or I didn't read The Giving Tree until I was in my 30s. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is about someone who gets teased and then saves Christmas. And this Christmas tree basically gets gets bullied, and then he becomes the, the main Christmas tree. So, yeah. Yeah. But do you think your mom might, it might register with your mom, oh, he really was perhaps a sad young man that she doesn't, she claims she doesn't see now. Well, she lives in, in such denial that I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Denial's not just a town of Massachusetts <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, she, she, I don't know if she'll recognize it. She'll, she, the, the good thing is that she's aware of what it means now. But at the time, to be honest, very few parents were aware of, the, of right. that type of That's absolutely thing true. going on. Even, even school psychologists probably weren't aware. Yeah. So on your Twitter feed, you've been tweeting out essentially a comic tip a day. Yes. But it's in the 200s now. 261 today. All right. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, on Ben. But it's also a little bit of life lessons, even oh, if yeah. you're not a comedian. Yes. One of them, number 202, was list your stand-up weaknesses, be honest, among 100 plus others, I need to weed out numerous performance flaws, write them down and take a pick, consult that pick before every show, work on one of those weaknesses every show. Great, but that's not, I don't know if that's loving yourself. That could be fraught if you're not in the right state sure. of mind. And, and that's something I, I put in a, a tip early on, which was your mental health is the most important. And if, if comedy is, is not contributing to your health, if it's, if it's making you anxious, if it's depressing you, then put it on hold, get your health in order, and then come back to stand-up because... Like like I said earlier, I wrote four minutes in two and a half years. Yeah, and since October of October November of two thousand seventeen, I've put together two hours and twenty minutes of of material. An hour of which is on the special, and the and another seventy five eighty minutes that I'm touring with now and after the special. So it makes a big difference if you if you if you muddle through. It's not helpful. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah. Another tip, you uh, you tweeted out the vision board that you made <laughs> yes. 10 years ago. Yes. And on that vision board are Late Show with Letterman, Conan, This American Life, and an HBO stand-up special. Yeah. Now with the special, they've all happened for you. Yes. But I looked at that vision board, and right. I just am wondering what some of these other visions mean. Okay. You have a picture of George Foster up there, I believe. Oh. <laughs> What George. is former Cincinnati Red and New York Met George Foster doing there? George Foster was the best hitter of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. He was. I he don't could think, rake. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone other than George Foster hit over 50 home runs during the 1970s. I, I, In any single season, yeah, yeah, that may so, be true. Yeah, yeah. And in 1977, he hit 52 home runs, and he also had the greatest sideburns. 
I've ever seen. So I, I remember seeing his baseball cards when I was a kid and just admiring him, never having seen him play, just his style, but also his his bat. And and he always made me happy whenever I saw those sideburns. So I, I think you need on your, if you're making a vision board, you need things that you just have always liked to look at so that you'll look at the things that, that are motivating and inspiring. Gary Coleman's new comedy special, The Great Depression, debuts Saturday, October 5th at 10. And soon thereafter, we'll be on all of those HBO Go type platforms and applications. Gary, great seeing you again. Uh, great, I love hanging out job. with you, man. Great job Thank you so much for coming to the special and also for having me on here today. Absolutely. We're not going to do anything stupid, are we? Don't you hurt him! Nobody's going to hurt anybody. We're all going to be like three little Fonzies here. And what's Fonzie like? Come on, Yolanda, what's Fonzie like? Cool. What? Cool. Correct the mundo. And that's what we're going to be. We're going to be cool. Although Fonzie is not only cool, Fonzie or Henry Winkler, who played Fonzie famously, is author of the multi-series Hank Zipser books. Hank Zipser is a boy with uh, dyslexia, and we have traced him, Henry, through how many books now? 34. 34 books. So this one uh, that I have before me, which uh, I think the subtitle is Always Watch Out for the Flying Potato Salad, which right. it sounds better in the original Latin, but... Uh, pretty- you know what? It, it, uh, I, I couldn't put the original Latin on there because I would never be able to read it. <laughs> so these books come from... My life. Your life. Yes. And when did you know the word dyslexic? Uh, I knew it uh, when I was 31. Wow. Uh, my uh, stepson, who came into my life when he was four, was in the third grade. Uh, we had him tested, and everything that they said about him was true about me. And did you say, wait a minute. I that's... said I was pissed off. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I wish I, I said I was angry because I got, I got uh, humiliated. I felt bad about myself. I was punished. I was grounded uh, all for no reason. Yeah. Well, a lot of this is your parents and they were. Well, because it's hereditary. And, yeah. But d- your dad was this multi, multi-linguist, um, brilliant yes. mathematician. Yeah. It must have skipped him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or maybe he was so short it went right above his head. <laughs> you know? So, what coping mechanisms did you employ? Humor. Mm-hmm. I uh, was a uh, class clown. And uh, because I was so embarrassed all the time, I would make people laugh and I could win the dance contests at the school dances. Yeah. I think that came into play one time. Joni was bumped off the cheerleading squad. That's right. And you won the dance contest. Well, in the sixth grade, my parents took me to see the Musayev uh, Russian folk dancing. And it was so powerful. And I was so moved by it. I taught myself a uh, a bastardized version of the Kazatsky. Yes. So I did that in Temple. Yes. And I did it at school dances. Yes. And then I did it on Happy Days. Were you ever in a a production of Fiddler where they do that? I was never. Never in, yeah. in a production of Fiddler. Uh, now I could probably play the horse, <laughs> you know. But uh, no, I, I never, I never was. Um, did what about memorizing scripts? I mean, you got your MFA from Yale yes, in nineteen seventy. Yes, that must have been hard. Uh, it was hard uh, because at that time, having no sense of self, it was very hard for me to focus. Mm-hmm. It was hard for me to um, to just give over 
to the script because I was always so worried all the time. And it has taken me basically up until now to become the actor I dreamt of being when I first started. And you think the dyslexia was... An- I do. I do. I, I think that I was so uh, not in charge yeah. of my <clears throat> own self. I was the bowl of jello before you put it in the icebox to congeal. I was shaking all the time. So here I am talking to the Fonz, but I want to talk about the font because I never knew this until I read the right. forward of this book. I, you know the what? font is amazing. That's right. And I never knew about the font. So this uh, is new. The font that you used in the book. This is brand new okay. and it's never been used in America tell, tell before. Tell us about this. It was devised by a dad in Holland for his children who are dyslexic. I believe he himself is dyslexic. What he has done is the the C, uh, the opening of the C is farther apart than most C's. It, the, the, the ink is heavier. The words are weighted. The uh, extension of the F is longer. The dissension of the G is longer. And he put together this font that made it easier for the reluctant reader yes, to join the eye and the page and have them be friends. And I have to say that 100 out of 100 readers who did not know this and weren't dyslexic would in no way say there's something weird about this font. It just looks like it's a little whimsical and it's appropriate whimsical. for a children's book. Right. But that's good. That's who but should when be you look at it, yeah. you think, oh my gosh, this is really easy to read. Mm-hmm. And especially since Here's Hank is for the beginning reader, it's first, second, third grade, for the reluctant reader who thinks I can't do it, this helps them. Are there other things that... I, as a non-dyslexic person, don't even think about. There must be little changes that could help the dyslexic person more than, you know, I've ever even considered. Understanding them and not making fun of them. Sure. If I were to go into a store and I paid for a piece of pizza with paper money, I would not know how much change I get back, nor would I know how to count the change in my hand before I left the store and used a calculator. I know you've transacted most of your business in America, but yeah. in England where, or, or Europe, where the money is different, different size, different color, is that any easier? No. No. It is not, not because that. the number is the same. <clears throat> yeah. Once you have a, now, I will yeah. say that the money in Europe is way more beautiful. Yes. Yes. And it used to be way more valuable, but now, no. not really. Well, you know, but even just, um, we are so, we have such mundane <clears throat> money. Although I do have to say, with the euro, you know, they have... Uh, bridges and mostly bridges, some some other forms of uh, transport or infrastructure. But the point was, it can't be a real bridge. It just has to sort of symbolize, because if it was in one country, it would alienate that right. country. Yeah. So it's kind of an ecumenical right. uh, currency. So from the planet Orc, it could be a bridge. <laughs> yes. And there's a Happy Days reference. So this gets us into a few of the questions I've always wanted to Go right to ahead. I'm, I'm here. Okay, go. Do you have a kinship with Jaleel White, who played Urkel? I don't, except that I understand how difficult it is to play a character, have such wonderful success, have such a great fan base, and then you are only known for one character. And he and just and Gomer Pyle is in the same field where they yes. start off as a minor character on a show, right. and immediately they become the main Absolutely. focus. Absolutely. Now this gets me to my next question. Yes. Do you bemoan? Do you know Jaleel? Uh, no, I've not met him. I know no. he's good at basketball. But, yeah, uh, but oh, there's, see, there you go. There's the Fonzie Urkel. And they're both great names, too. Fonzie and great. Urkel. And, and Gomer produced yeah. by the same team. Is this true? Tom Miller, Bob wow. Boyette, Eddie Milkus. Yeah. 
Was part of the becoming a different character was being a tough character, a tough guy? No, I don't think it mattered. It did? No. Uh, Now, certainly the Fonz was everybody I wanted to be. Yeah. And I never was, you know, I, I was never in that kind of control. I never had that kind of social life. Uh, I was never the, um, the apple of my, uh, you know, circles, uh, f- you know, of friends. But uh, I don't know even if that sentence made sense. <laughs> the apple of the circle of friends? Yes, the apple yes. of their eye. The apple of the eye. I don't, the worm I, was and never the apple a leader. Of, yes, 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 yes. You know? I was always the I was the core or the stem. <laughs> so it, it took me a while to relax into being Henry. You mentioned character actor and yes. it's a crude distinction, but often a character actor is a really good actor who doesn't have the matinee idol looks. But as the Fonz, you're this sex symbol. And right. then once they cast you as the Fonz, you become the Fonz. And I guess everyone agrees, this is a good-looking, sexy guy. Okay, but I think that uh, that the good looks was not really, I was not, you know, classically great-looking. Uh, I think that they liked the character, yes. ergo I became Good looking. Right. And everyone on the show agrees, oh, this is the this is the guy that well, I was better looking than a lot of people on the show. Yeah, that's very important you know, to I act mean, next to really. uh, uh Anson Williams. Yeah. Well, he was a good looking one. I was he thinking was, of he had the Ralph Mouth. I was Ralph, thinking of oh, Ralph now yeah. is very handsome. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um Fonzie's inability to say love. This is wrong to say wrong oh to say he's wrong yes yes i could say hey listen i want to tell you something i love this interview <laughs> but i could not say could not admit i could not admit that i was <laughs> okay that i was <laughs> so here's my question what? does does happy days invent that is do that the a- rest of this interview is the fonts <laughs> that'd be okay okay man All right. so by the way where did a guy from milwaukee get this accent it was very simple. <laughs> he was he was born in Milwaukee and he studied in uh, New York City. Yeah, yeah. Where? Which section? I would say the Bronx. Yeah, <laughs> that's where Gary Marshall came from. <laughs> so his real name was Marshallelli. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. Right. Um, Get so to the question. Not saying wrong. Right. Did was that invented? Is this an old vaudeville bit? It was. I don't know. Yeah, I do not know that. Uh, the writers we had, uh, uh, many many writers. Yes, uh, and they came up with this, and uh, that's what I did. I couldn't eat liver. Right. I couldn't you, say. You were ashamed of admitting. You didn't want. You didn't want Richie to divulge this that's as right. a it consequence of his high school reporting. It was my kryptonite. <laughs> I remember that. One. Right. But and the, there's a great episode where uh, Ron Howard holds it up to me and says, "Come on, take a bite." Uh, liver, liver is pretty much gone. Kids yeah. no longer, no longer. I used to liver. have liver. We, yeah. my, my parents were very short Germans, and we had liver and onions and mashed potatoes, and tongue and boiled tongue. potatoes. Yeah, with uh, brown mustard. Oh my god, health food. Yeah, I want it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was in a German restaurant yesterday. I asked for you the were. vegetables. They gave me boiled celery. Is that true? <laughs> yes. But Maybe what about Spetzel? Yeah, Spetzel. Hello, yes. yeah. So the question, though, with wrong is, yes. as much as we decry the three camera before studio audience, I get the sense- Wait a minute, who's decrying it? Yeah, some people do. They do? Sophisticates. Sophisticates. This is so-called sophisticates. I get the oh, sense- Oh, take your A-frames and get out of here. <laughs> that you- Played off the crowd, yes. and when they were loving it, it became its own thing because of the reaction. If you hadn't gotten that live reaction, maybe you wouldn't. Have I don't know like that, that that's true, mm-hmm. but I had a wonderful time with the audience. Yeah. The audience gives you an energy that it's uh, unlike anything, and, like they, like doing theater. I love going to and being in a play. 
there are times when the audience would laugh, maybe at not exactly the part you wanted them to. Yes. And you'd give them a look and it would stay on camera. Well, because <laughs> you know what? They screwed up the timing. <laughs> yeah, timing is everything. But you give them a look in character. Hey, like Fonzie no, going, what are you doing? I'm, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Calm the down. <laughs> now, what did you do? I know that Seinfeld had this problem with Kramer would come in the room, the audience would clap, and they wanted to get rid of this. So, though, eventually they said, no more clapping. We upon didn't do each- that. No. You indulged in it. No. Hey, you know what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to pop you one so you'll stop playing games. Now, I would let him go unless you want to make medical history. Good choice. Very nice. Give me a bitch. And then Chachi came in the room and uh, there was more clapping. Yeah. yeah. So basically, you only had to write half a show. It, it, the height of your Well, popularity. you know what they did? They only wrote half a script for uh, <laughs> Robin Williams. Uh, it was uh, uh, scene, 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 scene. Robin will do something here. Scene, 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 scene. Everybody had lines but Robin. Uh, your answer about... Knowing the the Urkel experience and typecasting, right? Do you what do you celebrate? Do you bemoan? What do you think about the death of monoculture? You know the idea that there were three networks, we all knew what was going on. The you like it was very hard for you to escape well, that role because that's all we had. Yeah, but you know what? I look at it. I've been able to do all of this wonderful stuff. I'm going to do a new show with Bill Hader on HBO. Oh, good. We did a wonderful show where I traveled the world with George Foreman, Bill Shatner, and uh, Terry Bradshaw and Jeff Dye, the stand-up comic. Yeah, we're going again. I saw you in guys May. in a dojo. That's at right. Some one point. That's right. Yes. And we're now going um, again uh, on that trip. I got to do Arrested Development. Uh, I got to do Children's Hospital. Now, you cannot tell those people. Yeah. Brilliantly funny people. I did not understand more than two jokes in about seven years. <laughs> I had no idea what I was saying. You were obsessed with jetpacks. There's I nothing was? wrong with well, that. How about that? Was that a great episode? Yes. That was amazing. Not good on the scrotum, but very funny. <laughs> So, now that you have tenure, what are you going to do? I'm going to do what anybody in my position would do. Please say what I hope you're going to say. I'm going to design the world's first consumer jetpack. Yeah! That was totally it. That was exactly what I wanted you... Whoa. Okay, now I hope you say... You're going to help me. Yes! That was it again. We are totally in On the same page. But yeah, and that's that's a great example because this is a niche show. It's a fifteen minute show. It, it would never have gotten exist, on, but for the fracture. That's yeah. right. Now, what happens if you build it? They will come. Good television. You find good television. It's word of mouth. You now today you've got catastrophe, uh, which is, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it is incredibly funny and smart. And uh, Rob Delaney and uh, oh yeah, yeah. the, uh, oh, the Irish God. couple oh, and they the, have the baby fan. and yeah, it's incredible. Uh, and deep w- and and if a network tried to put that on from an era where you couldn't uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten right on. where what was the what was the compromise with you and leather jackets oh. Uh, that I only if I was in a scene with my motorcycle. Could you wear the leather? That's Otherwise, right. it was I would too be offensive to middle America. Okay. Yes. So we, we go from that. We just to, saw Goliath. Yeah. Okay. Unbelievable show. So if you build it, we will find it. What a lovely conversation. I enjoyed it very much. Henry Winkler is the author of the Hank Zibzer books. And uh, the newest one is always watch out for the flying potato salad. Here's Hank. Thank you, Henry. Great to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. 
The Gist is produced by Corey Wara, who is not experiencing a birthday. Joel Patterson, also not his birthday, is the senior producer. Michelle Pasca is married to the birthday boy. I've got a little too into the birthday thing with this whole thing. But anyway, Michelle Pasca, she pilots our division of special projects here at Peachfish Productions. To advertise, go to advertisecast.com slash the gist for the last time in 2023. Oomperoo, Peru, Talk to you on 24. Thanks for listening.